everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and I am joined by a first-time guest, Lauren Hance. Hey, I am so happy to be here. So we are doing an episode of Soul Man, the sitcom that Dan Aykroyd did in the 1990s. There's a reason I have Lauren on this particular podcast, and we're going to talk about that. After we talk about the episode, we're going to talk about why Lauren is here. It's a specific reason. She's got a project. This sort of sets up her project, and we want to talk about that later. But this is from season two. Now, did you ever watch this, or have you even heard of this sitcom? Okay, so when you sent it to me, I was I was... I was thinking if I had heard of it, and then I, I looked at the link, and I was like, this seems vaguely familiar. I don't know if I ever watched it. I think it came out in, like, 97? 97, 97, 98, yes. Late 90s. Yeah, so um, I'll date myself. I would have been a senior in high school, and so, um, well, I graduated in 97, so um might have been in college, so I I... I I doubt I actually watched it when it was on air, but it did look very familiar. So I'm sure I I saw it at some point. The gist of the show is Dan Aykroyd is a father who is a widow, a widower, and has four kids. Yeah. And that was a thing. Like in the 80s and 90s, that was a big sitcom trope. Mom has died and left dad with the kids. We had Full House. We had My Two Dad. It wasn't an original idea. I mean, back in the 60s, we had the courtship of Eddie's father. The thing is, it's like usually in a relationship, mom's the mom's the more nurturing of the two parents. And not, what happens when we leave them with dad? Right. Well, it's kind of the start of the movement of dads becoming more like they're in the 90s. Like as feminist, feminism is kind of rearing its head, right? Coming in. And women are becoming more liberated, right? And and so so this idea of dads kind of stepping in and, and taking on that role is 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 kind of starting to show up, and you're seeing that more in culture now. But uh, it's, it's interesting to think that that was a theme back in the '90s, you know. But what also is back then and now is, and you see this especially in commercials, where the man is just an idiot. I dropped the, yo, I was dropped, supposed to drop the kids off at school. I dropped them off in Mexico because I'm a dumb man. <laughs> and I think that was sort of the seed of the comedy here. What is a dumb man going to do when he has to raise children by himself? And And usually, and he gets help from... His friends, he usually gets help from his female friends. They usually give him advice. That's how it usually happens in these shows. Which is sick. Cause, I mean, it's like you're troping off of, like, dissing on men for <laughs> being stupid or something. It, that's, you know, well, like, let's just pimp off it, of that. Which is, just isn't always it true. It isn't always true. But in this episode, John Goodman makes a guest appearance. And he is the personification of... The not the dumb male, but uh, I can't think of the word. Uh, you know, he's just totally oblivious to children rearing and family life, just completely oblivious. This is yeah. episode, uh, let me, I have written down, uh, season two, episode 13, called The Stand Plan. And the episode starts off where Dan Aykroyd, he has four kids, and he is going to have, he has to take his youngest child and his girlfriend. And that's sort of creepy in this movie where we have two, four or five-year-olds, would you say? Yeah, they're about four or five, which, you know, is like, I remember when I was four or five, I had, my parents were like, oh, she has a little boyfriend at, at preschool, you know, like that was kind of a, a, a thing, but it is still weird. They're like, they've been dating for two yeah. days and I'm taking them on a date. What? Irresponsible. That was the name of the word I was looking for. Irresponsible. John Goodman is irresponsible in this movie. All right, in this episode. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> and he is go Dan Aykroyd's going to take his son and his girlfriend to see this clown at a pizza place. They have this housekeeper. So he has he has four kids. He's living in this palatial house and he has a housekeeper. You may know more about this than me. I remember when I was growing up I grew up Lutheran. We had a pastor, and a pastor, as long as he was a pastor of the church, he got to live in the house that was next to the church. And I don't know if that, I think that might be what's happening here. It's like he is the pastor of this congregation or this father of this congregation. 
So he gets to live in this pretty big house with a housekeeper as long as he is in charge of the church. Yeah, that's common in in some churches. And I was listening to another um, episode that you guys did on this. And I think he's Episcopal would be my guess, um, because the Episcopalians have priests and they can be married and have kids and and all of that. So they might have like a parishioner's house, you know, that kind of thing. That was going to be my next question to you. And you answered it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's I'm pretty sure it's Episcopal because they also wear the um, the collar. It's like from uh, like the Church of England. It's a a branch off of off of that. So kind of Americanized. Yeah. (laughs) And he has his housekeeper English. I don't I couldn't really place her accent. I don't know what she is, and she, she's she she's a, a trope to come in and say a, a, a few a few zingers. You know, that's what she is in the show. Um, yeah, she's yeah, but comic. yeah, he needs help. everybody. Yeah. Everybody is the comic relief. Dan Aykroyd play is playing the straight man. and everybody else is the comic relief. Right, and she makes a joke about how men. Can't you know? Men can't pee. They always hit the seat. <laughs> like what in the world? Like let's start the show off with a with piss a pee joke. joke. <laughs> like... um, <laughs> she comes back in and says, "There's a burly man outside who wants who's from the IRS, and he says your your booty taxes are due." And but um, <laughs> like a pastor's gonna have a booty tax, and I'm assuming that like Dan Aykroyd's character, whatever Pastor Mike, has lived this other life and then at some point converted and has become a pastor. I'm, right? This is this yes. is the impression that we get that because John Goodman is this his former military guy. They were probably in the military together, did a lot of sketchy things. You know, well that's the first words. And now yeah. Pastor Mike, that's the first words out of Dan Aykroyd's mouth. Is am I going to be the accomplice or the alibi? In this, yeah, but John Goodman comes in, and John Goodman and Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd has been on John Goodman's television show. They, of course, John Goodman has been in uh, a Blues Brother. You know, he, he took up that mantle. So they they know each other. I mean, they're good friends in real life. So that's why he's on the show. Well, and it's it's interesting because you can tell as soon as as John Goodman enters the scene, Dan Aykroyd kind of like peps up a little bit as far as like his his acting and it just I feel like it takes like another step up because he's starting to have fun with his friend amidst this terrible script that they have to my buddy Will and I we did another episode and we yeah felt the exact same way that Dan Aykroyd was really kind of phoning it in even though this is his show and he's the executive producer his acting was not up to par with the other people. And I totally agree with you. When when John Goodman walks in, he, he peps up and he takes it up a notch. Yeah, and, and it was interesting. The, I, I watched it. I watched. I, I put myself through it twice. And, I went um, through it three <laughs> times. Time. I watched it three ah! times because I couldn't retain anything from it. It was just nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I had to take notes. I was like, like on my phone taking notes on it. But um, I did, I did like, I was like, golly, this script is so bad. And, and I felt like in some ways, when I saw Dan Aykroyd and John Goodman together, you could tell what actually great performers they are because they were able to make these really bad jokes and lines somewhat digestible you know you're like oh that i like had a little chuckle then i was like oh that's a really bad joke but golly they're like legit comedians you know Mm because it takes a really skilled actor to make a bad joke work so john goodman shows up and like i said he's obviously he's He's a lovable con man. That's that's the character that he's playing. You know, the the typical. You, you got the straight laced guy, and then you got his friend who's a lovable con man, not really hurting people, but but does shady stuff a lot of the time. He wants Dan Aykroyd. He's like, we're going to Cleveland. This uh, the sitcom takes place in Michigan. He's like, we're going to Cleveland to see the Rolling Stones. And John Goodman knows Dan Aykroyd, and he, that would. It would be, and he has four kids. That would be like me showing up at your house 
out of you know out of nowhere and saying, "Hey, we're going to Austin, you know, to see a band." Jump in, let's Jump go. In, and, and, <laughs> because you have you're married with two children, and that would just be like me to showing up. Hey, get in the car. We're going. We're going to see the Stones in Austin. <laughs> Right, the whole crew's going. Let's go. And I'm like, uh, I have like a bazillion things to do this weekend, <laughs> including watching my children, making sure they stay alive. Yeah. It's great. Oh, I do have to bring up the 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 housekeeper. Right? Okay. So, so she's they shake John Goodman and the housekeeper shake hands, and I just I'm like, really, this is how a woman's going to react the first time she meets this big burly guy, and. He says some kind of, you know, oh, lovely comment to her. And she goes, I like a man with good ha- with big hands. And then she goes, Brrr. <laughs> It's like, what? what? What in the world? There's a great big burly bear of a man on the porch. He says he's from the Internal Revenue Service. Internal Revenue? Yes, he says your booty tax is in arrears. Stan! Mikey! It's great to see you, but I didn't know you were coming. Hope I'm not too late for lunch. No, I'll just go outside and slaughter another bison. <laughs> uh, Glenn, I'd like you to meet my old Air Force buddy, Captain Stan the Man Hamill. Charmed. What is that delicate scent? Lysol. You wear it well. It's kind of a switch on, Stan. Usually women disinfect after they meet you. May I have my hand back? I love a man with large hands. Did she just purr at me? Could be. Since she's been here, we haven't had any mice. It's so... It's so... Like, let's press the laugh track because I don't even know if that's going to get any real laughs, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's great. She's on the She's prowl. She's on the prowl, yes. <laughs> and if you watch other episodes, she is on the prowl. That's one of her characteristics yeah, is... I, I, she's, she's not ugly, but she's plain. She's not what you know, so she is an older... She's a middle-aged woman who's plain and she's on the prowl. And that's her, one of her, you know, her main character trait through the through the season right well kind of everybody's on the prowl the son the older son sometimes dan Aykroyd himself the two episodes know, always, the two uh, episodes i've done of this episode he has been on the prowl he has been yeah this is the yeah, only one where he has yeah. been on the prowl so yes you are right well and the, at the we'll get to, to the end but the the youngest the the third priest or you know pastor uh he is at the end at the ending credits <laughs> And that's the Anthony Clark. We and we can talk about we can talk yeah, about Anthony him when Clark. we get there. I've I've worked with him, but he's a stand-up comedian, and I worked with him years and years and years ago here in Houston. Dan Aykroyd's like, no, I got to take my kids to to the see this pizza place tonight, and then it comes up that Big Bird is in town, guest conducting the symphony, and the kids really wanted to see Big Bird, but. Dan couldn't get tickets, and John Goodman, being the con man, says, Oh, I know a guy who works there. What? Here's what we can do. We can get the kids in to see this afternoon performance of Big Bird, and then we're free to go to see the Stones tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we've, we've got the setup. And this is where, okay, because I didn't know this much about the show, and I'm like, okay, here's this religious guy. Um, how are they going to tie this in? And I thought... I thought where it was going was was like here's this this guy that's had kind of a rough past now he's in the church and a pastor and are are we going to show his struggles with you know maybe something a little sketchy and kind of how does he handle it does it have a good moral outcome and we'll talk about yeah. that at the end how it ends <laughs> But that's where I thought it was going, so we'll just kind of tease well, you with yeah. that. That's when I was like, I was like, oh, this this show has heart, which we can get to that in a minute of why it, maybe it didn't work. <laughs> so yeah. they go and wait. Well, I've got to talk about the in between with the kids. There yes, was yes, I was one... just about to bring that up. Yes, so go ahead. <laughs> 
So Dan Aykroyd has three other kids and a, and a, t- a teenager, and then I, the ages are about 16, 17, 10 or 11, 8 or 9, 4 or 5. So that's that's the between between yes. 16 and 5, right around there. All four of them fall within that. So he, um, what cracks me up was it caught my eye. I was like, they're talking about what are we going to do with the kids and how, how, how are we going to get this thing underway? And I was watching it and I was like, who's that person in the background and what are they holding and what are, what's in their hand? What are they doing? It was just so evident. And then Dan Aykroyd goes, hey, and it's to his son, you're going to have to watch the kids. And the kid like comes out from behind the column. And I was like, oh, that's why that strange person was in the background. I, and he's like, I noticed the exact same thing. He was standing there waiting for his cue. He was just standing right. there waiting and he's like for playing his with cue. the phone. Yeah. I noticed the exact same thing. It was like it was it was so ridiculous. It was, it was just so obvious. I don't know if it was the way that they they framed the shot and he was like center frame so your eye like went to this really strange movement. It it was it was gold. He wasn't was even gold. talking on the phone. He was just standing there with the phone in his hand, just waiting for Dan Ackery to say, hey, Bill, whatever his name was. Hey, Billy, come here. You need to watch the kids. Uh, yeah. And he was like twiddling it. And that's the other thing. It was like it was one of those big cordless phones that we had in the 90s. And uh, I watched another episode that the kid's always on the phone. He's always on the phone with his girlfriend, which is what we did. Yeah. You know, we were, uh, you know. It, yeah, before. Always wanting to call because... So this is before we had phones. What did you think of the child actors, acting wise? Because you, I'm asking you this you know, because I know one of your daughters was in a major motion picture. She was, and it, it and she nailed her audition. She was so cute in her audition, and then she got to set, and it was painful to like try to get anything out of her it was she was just in shock and there were too many people around and and she wasn't used to being on a set it was a green screen and stuff and at one point my daughter goes I want to go back to my trailer like she was just such a precious little diva and Mm -hmm. so to get work and I've worked with a lot of kids like I do a lot of work with kids um and to get work out of them is is really hard. So I do, I feel like I have to say kudos to the director for getting kind of um, line readings out of the kids. They had a lot of really nice like vocal intonations of the way that they said the line. And even though I'm not sure they always understood what they were saying, there was some bit of communication where and the kid didn't seem super awkward like there was where the little boy comes down the stairs and he's in a tuxedo ready for his date and um he says how do i look and the 10 year old goes like an organ grinder and like who's going to get that (laughs) first of all how is a an eight-year-old going to know what an organ grinder is in 1997 (laughs) (laughs) but he delivered it well like he didn't he wasn't uncomfortable with the line which I think is hard to get from a kid with a line like that. You know, that's like a, like an old person's line, like who this show is made for, right? And um, like I could see like grandpa going like, that's so funny. Organ <laughs> grinders went out of style like in the 40s. It was like, that's how long ago. <laughs> I Yeah. Like how does this kid know it? But, but he delivered yeah. the line and it wasn't, it was, it, you know, and so I have to say they they found kids that have personality, you know, maybe they went to some Disney casting call of some sort. And um, and then and then the director had to have given those kids all of their line readings of say it, repeat after me, say it just like this. And they had kids that were willing to do that and they got decent performances out of them. <laughs> Because it's hard. It's hard with kids. If they, if, if you get a kid that's like, I don't understand this line, then you have to change the line because they can't yeah. say it. <laughs> Maybe that's how it lasted a whole season. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it lasted. Well, it technically lasted two seasons. The first season was like a. It was only like six episodes, and 
Like yeah, three, three or six episodes, something yeah, like that. Yeah. So technically, it was two seasons. John Goodman, Dan Aykroyd, the little boy, and the little. Oh, and by the way, John Goodman makes like two or three anti-marriage, anti-relationship jokes in a row. You know, when the boy says, "We've been dating for two days," and John Goodman's like, "What's that like?" and the little right. boy's like, the little girl says, "Let's go tell my mother," and he and John Goodman's like, "Oh." And he's like, get used yeah. to it, like. <laughs> so this, it's 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 very like John Goodman's character is is very anti relationship, anti marriage, and maybe and this might be reading way too much into it. He's he's sort of jealous of Dan Aykroyd, who had a wife at one time, who has these kids, and he's this lone guy. So maybe he's you know he's jealous of that so he wants that's what he wants Dan to himself he's jealous of Dan, you know maybe that might be reading be reading way too much into this but which would have been an interesting story but instead they're like let's just do a bunch of yes. singers like that, that's that's where they went and then there's this whole back and forth between uh John Goodman and Dan Aykroyd where like John Goodman makes a great little joke He's like, they're talking about the clowns and he's like, oh, the guy does uh, balloon animals. And he's like, I got a balloon in my wallet. <laughs> and everybody's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. And then Dan Aykroyd like one ups him and he's like, I hope you don't tell me you have a clown in your <laughs> pants. Like, it's just this. Like, like, everybody like has a funny little joke. And then it's like a setup for Dan Aykroyd to have like a slightly better joke. You know, that that's all it is. It's just setup after setup. <laughs> So they go to the symphony to see Big Bird, and then the three kids are left alone. Oh, we gotta... So we get we get cut back and forth between that. Yeah, yeah. And I do have to mention the one other thing that is super creepy. The before they go, the the the, the middle kids, the ten year old boy and the like eight year old girl come in from outside and they're fighting. And and John Goodman says. Yeah, just like two married people. And I did like a double take because I was like, aren't they brother? They're brother and sister, yeah. (laughs) And I was like, totally not an okay joke. (laughs) Like, like it was just so creepy. Well, earlier when he introduces the (laughs) four-year-old, this is his girlfriend, and John Goodman's like, hey... It's <laughs> I know it's just so so inappropriate, but uh, yeah. So the so they leave the 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 teenage boy who's waiting for his cue behind the pillar in charge of the ten year old and the eight year old. So we're gonna have like two little scenes going on at the same time, right? right? So we had we had to the symphony, and uh, and they get there, yes. right? And they're at the back door, and there's this line of people who are waiting. To get in through the back door to this sold-out comp- like concert. When does that happen? Maybe that was the the VIP. No, it couldn't have been the VIP line because it was on a... So there is a woman guarding the door. And I have her name written down. Jackie Hoffman. She's she fantastic. She is fantastic. And that's why I wanted to say her name. Jackie Hoffman. She was, she was the high point of this episode. 100%. Yes. Yeah, I wanted to give her credit like, because yeah, she's so she's guarding the door. Very, very funny. She takes those really bad lines and makes them actually laughably funny. She's so so funny and so real. You know, I just I I loved it. I loved I loved watching her. I did too. So they get there, and John Goodman's like, "I should be on the list." And her and him go back and forth. Uh, the, the very that's the very funniest scene where. Where he's trying to get in and she won't let him in. <clears throat> Hello, darling. Don't you look gorgeous today? Yes, don't I? I think my white polyester shirt and clip-on bow tie really highlight my sensuality. <laughs> Got my engine revving. The name's Stan Hamill. I believe I'm on the list. No, you're not. Next. Oh, uh, you might find me under Stan the man Hamill. I might find you under a rock. <laughs> you might... I found him under our bushes. You two slugs move it along. I have people who need to get in here. Hey, be careful who you're talking to. I got friends on the crew. Oh, friends on the crew? Well, let me get my Polaroid. Wow! I've never met anyone with friends on the crew before. What would happen if I took that little bow tie and just wound it real tight like a propeller? It's connected to my knee. Go ahead and try it. <laughs> 
she's she she delivers the line so great because she's he's like you're such a great looking lady or whatever she says and she's like in my white shirt and my bow tie <laughs> like it's just this like like she just owns it she owns every bit of it and it's it, delightful you it's can delightful. tell that this character she's heard it all go ahead i've heard it all give me right. a, give me anything you want to get in i also like i like the fact that she doesn't take herself I, she takes her the job seriously but the actress doesn't take it too seriously and that's what makes it funny agreed she's fabulous and then she has a, i don't know if we want to get to it later but she has this whole thing about a violin uh and i was like that's that's the most truthful thing that's ever <laughs> happened in this show is is her is her confession of like i'm a i'm a violin player with a master's degree and i'm standing in an alley and i'm like welcome to the arts lady welcome to the arts <laughs> Well, John Goodman can't get in because the person, his contact, he owes him $1,000. Yes. She goes, as soon as you pay him $1,000, you can get in. So now they're stuck. They can't get into the symphony. They promised the kids Big Bird, and they're not going to be able to come through. So that's one of the, that's the one of the sticking points in this episode. And right, and I'm still having hope in my heart that we're going to turn this ship around and have a real, like, feel-good feeling at the end. And it, and it kind of, it, in just a few moments, it starts to go downhill. <laughs> so, so they say, hey, it's not happening, right? And so, so Dan Aykroyd's like, hey, you know, the only thing I have with my kids is, is truth. And, you know, I got to build trust with them. So you're going to have to tell them why we can't do this. Oh, no, before he tries to, he goes back to, the, before he does this, he goes back to Jackie, right? And he tries to get in. Yeah, yeah? Dan Aykroyd tries. He's yeah. like, I'm a priest. Yeah. And she's like, and so, or I'm a father, or what he's like. She's not, she is just not impressed with that. He, okay, so here's where, it, for me, as a person of faith, I'm like, oh, wow, this is real bad. So, so he's like, Hey, you know, we got a situation and and I'm like, Oh gosh, he's going to play his pastor card. And I'm like, I'm starting to sweat. Right. And he's like, I just, I believe in, in the goodness of the human spirit. And I was like, Oh, okay. And, um, and she's like, you're still not getting in. And and I'm like, okay, what's, what's going to happen here? I'm waiting on pins and needles. And he goes, you know, when you die and you're at the, at the pearly gates and they've got a list and they tell you, you're not getting in. You're going to have a real good time in hell. (laughs) And I just lost it. I was like, no, this is this. (laughs) And I was like, we're not turning this ship around. Now I see where it's going. Now I see where it's going. We're just going to get as many jokes as we can. Out so of it. yeah, and hope that the religious people are going to watch because it's called Soul Man. So we'll put a pin in that. We go back to the kids. So the minute that Dan Aykroyd has yeah. left, the teenager goes to his girlfriend's house and leaves the ten-year-old in, in charge of the eight-year-old. Yeah, because the mother's not home at the girlfriend's yes. house. He, he's it's basically like going very... to have sex with his girlfriend. It's it's not yes, it's, it's not very laid like... out like that. But that he's like, my girlfriend's home alone, and I am a horny sixteen-year-old. Yeah. So that's where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> It's very jovial. Bye. She's not home, and we'll see you later. And the audience is like, <laughs> "I'm going to get laid." Um, and it's like, like you said earlier, it's set up that the ten-year-old and the eight-year-old—they've just been arguing the entire. They've just been at each other the entire episode, and then the eight-year-old is yeah getting. She she claims that she's sick, and then the ten-year-old doesn't care until the eight-year-old says, "I just threw up in the bathroom." Now, okay, how about, so this might be the re, the redeeming, even for a moment, the redeeming part of the episode is when the 10-year-old finds out that the 8-year-old thinks that the 8-year-old is sick, then his true feelings come out. He takes care of her, he covers her up, he gets her saltines, so he becomes a legitimate big brother at that point when he, when he thinks, and that's going to be important, when he thinks that his little sister is actually sick. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 they, again, get sweet little 
line readings from him. Oh, you know, dad would get me crackers. Oh, I can do that. You know, it's, it's, it's real sweet. And, um, and, and I was like, is she yanking? I was like that too. And I was like, I I didn't know know either. I didn't know either. So I didn't know. Yeah. We, everybody was on, they were like, oh, is she really sick or is she yanking his chain? And and then you're like, oh no, I think she was kind of legitimately sick. So then we go back, we, you know, we'll yeah. put that on hold because we're, we're going to come back, back to, to that. So. <laughs> and he's being sweet, reading her stories. Yeah. And so we go back and, uh, and this is where he, where uh, Dan Aykroyd tells John Gummy he's going to have to tell the kids to, you know, we're not going. I lied and I'm a, you know, you know, I, I, I didn't do the right thing. I was a bad adult. Dan Aykroyd wanders off somewhere. And so the kids come back and John Goodman is going to tell them, you know, he's telling them that basically that I lied. There's no way it's it's shot nice. But the setup is while John Goodman is telling him while t- telling the kids what a good person Dan Aykroyd is. Dan Aykroyd is actually sneaking into the building trying to still trying to get in so that's the joke where your dad is such a good person he would never do anything wrong and then you see dan Aykroyd fall through a window into the into the symphony hall right this like real good straight-laced priest is now sneaking into the symphony and we see his his life before still living it now as a you know man of the cloth (laughs) so it's just Jeez. And then, and then I think we cut we, back. Yes, and then we, we, we cut, cut back, back the and the little girl, mm-hmm. the eight-year-old, was the teenager comes home, and the little girl's like, "Ah, it wasn't all joke." He's had a real yes. good time. I tell you, he's had a real good time at his right. house. He he went and he got it and he came home. He's a pig, right? With the with the, with the balloon in in, in Jan, Dan Goodman's yes. pocket or whatever, you know. And then the little girl, the eight-year-old, chops up. It's like, I'm fine. I just want to tell you, you told me that you loved me. Now you love me. And it's, 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 it's sort of a, it's a sweet moment where, you know, they're still siblings and they're still at each other, but it, you know, they, they love each other and, and he said it. So if there's any redeeming part of this episode, it's that little relationship between the 10-year-old and the eight-year-old. Right. And it, it had it had the promise of I know you were talking about like this was a contemporary to like Tool Time or not Tool Time um, Home Improvement which was Tool yeah. Time was showing it and and Full House where there was this kind of familial good things happening and it, it had the potential there to for them to have some kind of reconciliation of like oh I do love being your brother and I do love being your sister but it was still it was just a got ya and you know they they had the opportunity to make it that heartwarming show that was having success in in other shows and they just you know didn't do it <laughs> they they chose to go for they the zinger they went for the zinger so so that part of the episode is done and now yeah. we go back to the symphony and Dan Aykroyd just walks out the door with Big Bird. Big Bird's in this episode. Here he comes. Yes. <laughs> and then everybody, everybody is immediately, adults included, we have done a 180 and we are now enamored with Big Bird. Like he has entered the space and you know, like the queen could have come on, you know, it's like John Goodman is like, wow, it's a big bird. Dan Aykroyd's like salivating at the mouth to talk to Big Bird. Well, Fred, Lily, look who I just bumped into. Big Bird! <laughs> big Bird. Hey, Fred. Hi, Lily. Hey, I was just getting my conductor's baton. And then your dad fell in my window. <laughs> it is one giant bird. Well, and uh, who are you? I'm Big Stan. But you shouldn't be talking to me. I've been a very bad boy. <laughs> I, I, I love you, Big Bird. I think you're cool. Oh, thanks, Father Mike. So, Fred. I, I remember on Sesame Street. I remember when you, you, you went to get lunch. You went fishing for Wolfgang the Seal. That was awesome. Oh, <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> anyway, Fred. I had Fred. the time. The time you saw Snuffleupagus, no one believed you. I believed you. Thanks, Fred. 
Thanks for believing in me. <laughs> I, 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 I love your alphabet song, too. That really rocks. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Father Mike, it's important to take turns. And now it's Fred and Lily's turn to talk to Big Bird. <laughs> yeah, Mikey, respect the bird's pecking order. <laughs> Like Sesame Street is universal. I, well, I mean, well, in the state, yeah. I don't know how it is in other, but in America, like Sesame Street, that's something that sticks with you your entire life, and it's still around. I just distinctly remember watching Sesame Street every day, every day, and you know, Oscar. Oscar's in a TV commercial right now. He's in a United TV commercial. Right. So yes, before we get into the Big Bird part, just to touch on what you said, they're trying to be like. John Goodman, you have to be an adult here. You have to admit to these kids that you lied. You have to admit to these kids that you have to be a better person. And while this is happening, Dan Aykroyd is sneaking around. And by sneaking around, it pays off and they get to see Big Bird. That's the right. message. They get no redeeming, <laughs> no redeeming quality that just... As soon as he tells that lady she's going to hell, the whole show just goes downhill in the possibility of what they they could have done with with it, the show. I know? think it would have worked better is if John Goodman and Dan Aykroyd they confess we we lied to you kids, not lied, but we're not going to see Big Bird. I know it's a disappointment. Uh, we'll try to do better next time. And after they confess their sins then big bird walks out or then they run into big bird they've they've confessed to right. them you know they've confessed they they've made things right and as a reward they get to see big bird but they get to see big bird through underhandedness still yes yes it's like the antithesis of a soul man yeah <laughs> And probably why the show didn't do well, you know, like, <laughs> that's not what we want to see, you know. I don't want to, I don't want to see underhandedness getting rewarded, I Well, guess. that's what happens because the kids get to, everybody gets what they want. The kids get to see the symphony on stage with Big Bird and John Goodman and Dan Aykroyd, they get to see the Stones in Cleveland. So it, it all exactly works out in the end. <laughs> It all works out in the end because the housekeeper got to come, you know, and they had, they're like, the housekeeper's got to come in case the little girl has to go pee, you know? Okay, <laughs> like, so let me take her to so the that's bathroom. It. So she, the housekeeper comes, so the little girl has somebody to pee with. Dan Aykroyd and John Goodman leave. Who's going to go pee with the little boy now if he has to go pee? Yeah, he can go into the ladies' yeah. restroom. That's an okay thing when you're four. That's <laughs> like... I actually saw a sign on a bathroom not too long ago. It's like, uh, like it was on the woman's room. It was like any, any boys over ten not allowed in the ladies' room. So it was just like, because I mean, okay, I was in a, I went to, I was at a Bucky's. Uh, if you're not from Texas, you don't know about Bucky's. Bucky's is the best. It's a, it's the best, and they have the cleanest restrooms. That, yes, that you'll ever see. So I was at a, I was at a Bucky's. And um, and I, I walk out of the the bathroom, and there's this. Uh, he's got to be in his twenties, maybe. I'm I'm going to the sink, so I'm still in the ladies' restroom, and he's in his twenties, and he's with a little four year old girl helping her wash her hands. So he's brought her into the women's restroom, and I, I you know, I didn't. I, at first, it struck me as kind of strange. I'm like, oh, there's a man in the women's restroom. The Bucky's restrooms are constructed so that, you know, nobody can look under it. They're, they're very lovely. Um, and, and I, it, you know, I kind of had to process that a lot. And, and I thought, you know, it was, I guess I was like, you know, I bet he, that's his daughter or his niece. And he didn't want to take her into the men's restroom. He didn't want to expose her to whatever is happening in the men's restroom. Because as we know, the uh, housekeeper told us they can't aim straight, you know, so. Oh, by the way, maybe. we forgot to mention it. John Goodman makes the same pee joke later in the episode. They did the same pee joke twice. Right? That's so great. 
Anyway, so this guy takes the girl in the bucket, and I'm like, you know what? That's great. I don't have a problem. Don't pro- it's weird that the guy's in the ladies' restroom, but he's protecting the little girl. And if he's there protecting the little girl, he's probably not out for bad business. As I'm walking out of the Bucky's, there's these two older ladies in front of me, and they do this double take and this look at each other, like snarling and like, what is that man doing in the ladies' restroom? You know. So I don't know. These back in the '90s, a guy couldn't get away with it, but maybe today. <laughs> Uh, then we have the uh, so crazy. then we have the credit scene where Anthony Clark, the younger father, he's trying to get a sweater to the little girl, and then the woman out front won't let him in. Which is so weird. They're like, "How can we have an ending scene? And how about it revolves around this girl's sweater, who, by the way, was wearing a very heavy pea coat in yeah. early, you know, earlier in the scene, so she doesn't need a sweater." To watch Big Bird. <laughs> well, the thing is, and this, once again, this is nitpicking. It's like, he doesn't want to go in to see it. He's okay with her taking it in. And so they, so he starts flirting with her. Because everybody's on the prowl. And when you're an Episcopal priest, it's okay. You know, because he has his collar yeah. on. You know, he's very much like like in the cloth. He's, he's not in streetwear here. <laughs> And she falls but for she, it. She you know, falls for it. I, I guess. It, and I guess it's. Well, not fall for it, but when John Goodman does it, it's coming from a place of a con. And I guess when Anthony Clark is doing it, it's. It's coming from a real place. Maybe he feels that way. Maybe she can sense that. I don't know, but. And she hands him his the clipboard and is like, "Here, be the bouncer for me." Yeah. It's, you know, so they can get another yes. joke in. Because the, the, the final reason. joke is a big, it's intermission, and Big Bird has to get back in to conduct the symphony, and Anthony Clark won't let him in because his name's not on the list. And then the episode ends with a right. close-up of Big Bird just giving a wah-wah look to the camera. <laughs> and I'm like, what What was Big Bird doing out in the alley? He was, was having a smoke. Was he on a smoke break? He was on a break? smoke break. Yeah, I was pretty sure that's what he was doing, you know, like <laughs> t- taking the head off of the guy underneath. I mean, I w- know, in case somebody didn't know that Big Bird's not real. I wish, like the Rolling Stones kept getting brought up. I wish there would have been a scene between Big Bird and Mick Jagger. That would have been glorious, but then they would have had to construct another yes. set for that to happen. <laughs> like, so instead of the, you know, just the two sets that they had. And this is a weird little to, thing to deal with. I don't know why it struck me. Like John Goodman and Dan Aykroyd are like, we're off to see the stones. And Dan Aykroyd goes, Charlie Watts is the best. I'm like, that's your stone. That's the stone. You're going to pick Charlie Watts. It's like, I, I love it. You know, I guess Charlie doesn't get enough love as the other ones. So I'm like, yeah, give Charlie Watts some love. All right. I like right. Dan, Dan Aykroyd's like, this is my show. I'm going to give a shout out to Charlie if I want Absolutely. to. Like, <laughs> that's like what's going on. And I'm like, how did, how did Dan Aykroyd decide that this was a show that he wanted to sign off on. Like, I was so curious. I did a little bit of research. I don't know what you know about Dan Aykroyd. I don't know if you know if this, I don't know if this is true. It said he grew up going to a Catholic church and wanted to be a Catholic priest, but then went into entertainment. Is that? Yes. A lot of the stuff that he, that he has written and he's been involved on, involved in, was based on stuff that he wanted to do in real life. So, uh, yes, I can definitely believe that. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot more sense that he, he, this was a path that he wanted to take. So somebody hit me up for a TV show. Let's, let's try it and see how it goes. And then he also grew up as a spiritualist. His, uh, uh, is that true as well? I saw multiple sources that said that where his family did things like seances and, oh, he's, and, and tapping yes. into to spirits, That's, and, he and that totally he's more that. of a spiritualist. He's totally into that. He's yeah, than he is. He's the reason he wrote ghost. He's he believes in ghosts. That's why he wrote Ghostbusters. He believed. I mean, he believes in all of that. So yes, that is totally one hundred percent true about Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Yeah. So it was so interesting. And and that makes sense now because I was like, why? You know, because the, the theme song is the soul man from the Blues Brothers. And I'm like, a terrible why, version of it, by the why way. Would, a terrible version. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. 
But why are they like releasing the rights to that and imposing it on a show about a religious guy? But I guess that makes a lot more sense if he's like, oh yeah, sure, we'll do that because this was something I wanted to do and I'm going to play around with it, you know, that, that makes a lot more sense now. So that was the stand plan. So the thing, I had to watch, like I said, I had to watch this three times because I couldn't retain anything. The, in my opinion, this sitcom did the cardinal sin of entertainment and it was just, it was not, it wasn't good and it wasn't bad. It was just bland. It was just blah. And that's the worst thing you can be right. doing anything. Yeah. Well, and I think it was it wasn't so bad because you have <clears throat> such skilled people there at the helm, you know, which we had talked about earlier, at least delivering those lines in 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 a in a somewhat I don't and know. I just want to point I like I said I want to point this out. Way. On IMDb, it says the director is Gil Ginger, and that is not true because if you watch the credits of the television show, the director is Ted Wass who was a prolific actor and director in the 80s and 90s. So, Gil, if you're listening, go to IMDb and get your name taken off of this. <laughs> Put Ted on there. <laughs> Put Ted. Let, make, make, well, that, and, it wasn't, and the thing is, it wasn't... Well, I was going to say it wasn't directed bad, but then again, we both commented on a scene where an actor is just standing in the back waiting for his cue, so that's on the director. Yeah, well, but, but you know, the directing, like I said, getting the work out of those kids, that's real hard. I mean, you have to have a skilled director and to get your actors to give decent read line, line readings with the with the script. It, you know, you were saying they were trying to, I felt like they, uh, I think in the episode with Will that you were doing, um, trying to piggyback off of some of these other sitcoms. And it feels like they were just kind of like, can I say this half-assing it like, you know, and hoping that it would land and that religious people would watch it because it was about a religious man rather than actually going full on and investing in it, you know? So interesting, interesting. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So now the reason I teased earlier why I have Lauren here is Lauren, you actually had combined religion and humor in your project. So could you please tell us about that? Yeah. So I'm a, I went to seminary for theology, arts, and culture. I got a a master's degree in that. And part of my thesis project, um, we could do a project within our art discipline. My seminary let, um, let artists in and and do stuff. And, and so uh, I've, I have a one woman show called the Holy O and if you're going, do you mean O as in, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> and um, it's, it's, a, it's a fun little kind of interactive show where I combine a lot of things that are me, you know, uh, humor and heart and improv and interacting with the audience and, um, and talking about things. It's a, it's a show that appeals to you know, to women, it deals with a lot of, of female issues and, and kind of creates a space for women to, to talk about the nuances of their bodies and their spirits and their sexuality. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing that show and you can find it at theholioplay.com. And I have a 2023 uh, tour starting to line up. Uh, I can't say officially, you know, exactly where I'm going because I have to wait for my people to tell me I can. But uh, I'll tell you the cities I'm going to. I'm going in July to D.C. in August. I'm going to Omaha. And then in September, I'm headed to Vancouver. So uh, if you want to come check out that show, you know, if you're in those cities, come check me out. I'd love to chit chat with you. (laughs) <laughs> All right, and I will put the website in the description of the show, so when the dates do come up, where you're going to be, people will be able to find those. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. This All was right, super fun. yes, thank you for doing it. And this has been another episode of the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Lauren, thank you for doing this, and we'll see everybody here next time. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash scottwhite and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast.
Her name is Lily. She's with Fred Weber. Her mother really wants her to wear this sweater. Oh, that's the first time I've heard that one today. Move it along. Look, I know you have a thankless job. Shoot, I'm underappreciated where I work, too. In fact, I bet you're a very, very intelligent, artistic person. Oh? <laughs> and if you don't mind me saying so, you're pretty easy on the eye, also. You're smooth. I like that. All right, I guess I could bring this in. Here. Thanks. Just do me a favor, watch the door for me. Sure. Don't let anybody in unless they're on that list. All right. Excuse me, where do you think you're going? Well, the intermission is over, and I have to go back and conduct the symphony. Okay. That's the first time I've heard that today. No, but I'm Big Bird. Yeah, and I'm... Well, you are Big Bird. Yeah. I love you. I really love your alphabet song. Oh, really? Sorry, you're not on the list. <laughs> has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast. you never see in a zoo. It might be a kind of doggy or a particular shade of blue or maybe a pretty flower. Nah, not with a name like that. Uh-uh. It's the most remarkable word I've ever seen.